This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Well, welcome back, friend, to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening in for season six, where we've been starting out each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. And this month, we are super grateful to Nora uh, for sharing vulnerably her story. Nora shared about her Christian faith, growing up in Sweden, the impact of the church and the creative things that she loves. But she also shared some very personal things, including her struggles with anxiety, mental illness, and self-harm. And as I mentioned in last week's episode, these are heavy topics. And while I don't ever want to shy away from discussing these things on the podcast, I also want to be sensitive to someone listening who may be struggling, because statistically speaking, you are out there. You may be dealing with anxiety or suicidal ideation, depression, or self-harm, and I don't want to ignore you or ignore that. So please, if that's you, I hope that you are already talking with somebody and you have someone in your life that is speaking life into what that situation is. Um, And in the show notes, we'll put some links to some helpful resources. But if it's urgent or you need someone right now, please text 988, which is the 24-hour hotline for suicide prevention in this country. But today, a sensitive topic calls for a sensitive guest. And I'm super grateful to welcome back someone who's left a huge impression when he was here as a guest last spring, also talking then about another sensitive topic, in that case, a discussion about the question of hell. We'll put a link to that discussion in the show notes. Our guest today has worked as a speaker with Stand to Reason since 2019. A former atheist, he used to think belief in God was unwarranted, and irresponsible. He's chuckling, but he really did. And then after examining the evidence for Christianity, he was faced with the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, and the Christian worldview tells the true story of reality. Since then, John has been passionate about engaging the culture with honest, well-thought-out reasons why people should trust the Christian worldview. He has developed a series of passionate talks to do just that, and he holds a master's degree in Christian apologetics from Biola University. And he brings a unique perspective, having more than 10 years experience in the legal field and serving more than five as a pastor in his local church. He also serves on the board of directors for Life Without Limbs and at Beacon Hill Classical Academy, where he teaches discipleship. John Noyes, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Janelle. It's good to be back with you. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed our conversation last time, hearing your story, oh. hearing about how you met your wife, uh, and then... Y- the, some of the things that you shared when we discussed the topic of eternal <laughs> damnation, yeah, yeah. Um, n- no light topic at all, um, but they you said it in such a way that was very compelling mm-hmm. and easy to hear. And so I just really, really appreciated that. And I remember in researching for that conversation, knowing that you could touch on this conversation. So when my co-host Nora reached out to me and said, hey, I, I want to talk about this. This is the time. Um, I, I thought, who do I know who talks about this? Wait a second. I know John. Yeah. So thank you so much for being willing and able. I really appreciate what you're doing ministry-wise. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate what you're doing ministry-wise and also tackling this topic. It's timely. It's needed. Um, it's, a, it's a really important topic to be talking about right now. It has to be talked yeah. about. Yeah. And Nora, you know, I reached out to her. She asked that we do this conversation without her. Um, But I have been in contact with her. She's 
um, you know, she's interested in what we have to share today. Um, but real quick, before we dive in, will you share a little bit more about the ministry you're a part of, how people can find you and support you after they hear you talk? That's nice of you to ask. I, um, I work with uh, an organization called Stand to Reason, uh, str.org. And uh, yeah, all, all of my content, I think all of my content is, is up at sti.org. I think I'm not much of so, a social media person, so I actually don't know where any of my contact, like my content is. I, I'm assuming uh, that they they take care of it there. But I'm a full time uh, speaker and Christian apologist uh, at Stand to Reason. It's actually my dream job. I love it. I have the best job in the world. So yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, for those who don't know, a Christian apologist is not somebody who goes around apologizing all over themselves. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind just sharing briefly what that is. Yeah. Uh, so a Christian apologist means you offer reasons to believe ultimately in a Christian worldview, right? In the scripture, First uh, Peter 3.15, it's always be prepared to give a defense. That word defense in the Greek is apologia or apologia, and it means to give a defense for the hope that we have. So uh, I love that verse because the, the picture that's painted from the context of the verse is people witness how Christians live and they have questions about why they're so different. And so they go to them saying, Hey, can you give me reasons why you believe what you believe that's led to such, uh, such a different type of life? Um, so, uh, the, the idea behind it is that, that Christians should be salty and flavorful in the culture. And then the culture, if they're that, if the Christians are like that, they'll come and ask them for reasons. And then I get to travel around and, hopefully train Christians uh, how to give re- a reasoned defense for, for our Christian worldview. Yeah. And for somebody listening who's a skeptic of Christianity, salty, not in the sense of like, I'm salty, like a little jerk, yeah, but no. salty in the sense of adding flavor That's right. and taste to the world, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Good, good. Um, all right. So you talk about a lot of different topics. Yes. Um Share for somebody listening who wants to know more about what you specifically talk about, maybe even invite you on as a speaker at some point. What are your topics? Whoa. And then let's talk about this topic. When sure. We get to the end. So I, um, I speak on anything uh, for, I mean, anything and everything from um, abortion to uh, biblical justice to uh, atheism or naturalism Um I, I'll be also offered uh, a, a talk on uh, that's called tactics, how to engage the people are around you in, in spiritual conversations. Um, so there's, there's a ton of topics I speak on actually though, uh, Janelle, this topic, the topic of suicide, I have a, I have a talk that I give on suicide. It is now by far the number one requested talk mm. that I give. I actually just did a, a rundown for the last four years of me at Stand to Reason, my entire like career with Stand to Reason, 30% of the time I'm asked to come and give this or uh, give give a presentation on suicide. I mean, sometimes it's in combination with other topics, but um it's beginning it's beginning to be more often than not. Actually, this topic is so popular that during our reality student apologetics conferences, which are these huge conferences we have all over the country now we've got six locations um all the other speakers that do breakout sessions and and other talks 
they usually they're all changing their topics according to what the mm. theme is for that year's conference. Uh, this year is identity. And mm. I have not rotated this talk out at all. So I give this talk twice at every single uh, conference and it has nothing to do with me or a presentation or anything like that. It just has, it, it, it speaks volumes to where the culture is at and, uh, and the things that they're wrestling with. It's, it's actually heartbreaking, <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. that, that I'll, I'll give this talk, uh, reality stats next month. I'll give it, uh, 12 times over the next eight months just at the reality conferences to sold out audiences and the breakout room that I'm in, in every city will be packed. Yeah. And I mean, like the, the, I'll, I'll be in a room that seats 600 and there'll be 800 students in there and they'll be sitting down the aisles. They'll be crowding around the podium. And then <clears throat> the, after the talk is where really the impact I think happens where you get to hear people's stories uh, much like this, this young woman, I'm sure she has a story to tell, right? Yeah. And so you get to kind of sit with the students and the leaders and the parents, and I'll I'll give the talk, and uh, and so that's an hour long, and then I'll stay for about three hours uh, with students and leaders, offering prayer and counseling, whatever I can do to help, and then I'll get to get up and give the talk again, and then I'll stay there for a good six hours after the conference is over, and mm -hmm. with a packed room just talking to people because so many people are not just interested, but they're affected by this issue. The yeah. issue of suicide is, is what we're going to be talking about today. And yeah. I think it's a really important issue uh, just to kind of kick the conversation off. It's a conversation that, that it's one that we're not having. Uh, when I say we, the, the church Christians, I feel like we're not having this conversation in a, uh, in a, mm, a responsible way. I, I think that sometimes mm -hmm. we we joke about it, or sometimes we dismiss it. So certainly, mental health in general. I feel like the church has uh, has done a little bit of damage in that they don't we don't take mental health seriously. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I teach at a ton of places all over the world now, and I was just at a I was just at Summit Ministries, which is in Colorado, and I had a young a, a young woman. She was maybe twenty. She was one of the people that was at summit and she, she came up in private and asked a question like, how, how would you counsel somebody who has parents who tell her that depression that she's going through isn't real. She just needs to pray harder and they won't let her talk mm -hmm. to a, uh, you know, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, even a biblically trained one, you know? And, and so basically they're telling their daughter, you just got to pray harder. And I actually asked, right. I asked the girl, I, the, the young woman, is I said, are you talking about yourself? And she she started crying and she said, yes, this yeah. is, my parents won't let me go. So we we got to talk about that. And that's just an example of the church needs to take this issue a little bit more seriously. Um, for, for any number of reasons, we're not talking about it, but we need to talk about it. Yeah. Before we dive in, what do you think the reasons are why people aren't diving into that? I have my own theories, but they're just theories in my own mind yeah. why people wouldn't be talking about this. Well, there's a couple, I think, off the top of my mind, you know, and through the the research that I've done talking with just people. Um, one is there's a stigma attached to suicide. Um, and it, 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 it actually flows out of, a, and we'll probably talk about this, I'm assuming, but it flows out of, I think, poor theology where, uh, you know, people who, uh, there, there's a belief that if you die by suicide, you go directly to hell, right? No matter, like, if you're a Christian or not. And I think that if you're a Christian 
and that's your belief or that's what you've been told, it prevents you from actually wanting to dig into it. There's a stigma associated mm-hmm. with it. I think that it's very, and another reason is I think it's very similar to um, the issue of abortion, for example, where it's a kind of a, a, for the longest time, it's been a dark secret that we know is present in the church, but we just don't want to talk about it because that means what we have to do is we have to confront the reality that that uh, that the church is made up of, of sinful people and they do uh, some pretty awful things sometimes. So what we want to do is we want to relegate these cer- certain things. And if this was the longest time that we did this with abortion into the, even the dark corners of our churches, and we don't want to shed light on it, uh, maybe because we're ashamed of, of talking about it or acknowledging that it's there. But what happens when we put things in the dark corners of even our churches? Well, we prevent the light, especially the light of the gospel to shine on it. But then once we start taking them out, like we have with abortion, we start to kind of not just win the cultural tide. I feel like the tide is shifting a little bit with the abortion issue. I, you start to literally save lives. And the same thing can happen with, uh, with, with suicide. I think if we could start uh, moving towards that issue, according to the true story of reality, according to who we really are, um, and let these, these kinds of issues break our hearts uh, for the people that are suffering them. Um, I think we could impact the culture. A, a third reason I would say is it's really it's it's really a hot issue. It's difficult. It's hard. I have an accent, so uh, it's it's a <laughs> it only comes out once yeah, in a while. Once in a while it comes out, <laughs> but as we get going, it'll come out more. The the, uh, the you know it's a difficult issue, and nobody nobody yeah. wants to talk about this. Like I like. <laughs> Uh, Janelle, if I'm honest, like I, I, I don't want to do this talk every, every time I go to reality conference, it's not, I, I, it's, it's hard, man. It's like, it's so difficult, but it's so needed. So nobody wants mm-hmm. to talk about it. So we don't, uh, it's kind of like, do you remember those, uh, there's like the statues that of the monkeys, right. Uh, with the covered ears, eyes, and mouth, you know, certain, yeah. certain issues are really difficult to talk about. So we want to pretend that it's not there and we want to not, not tackle it. But it's getting to the mm-hmm. point now that we have to, um, yeah. because it's 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 so pervasive. It's it's uh, I mean it's everywhere. I I don't think that there's a person that's listening to this honestly that's listening to this right now um, that hasn't in one way or another be been touched or affected by the issue of suicide. This is actually Nora. This is an encouragement to you. Uh, you're not alone. If, if you're yeah. wrestling with these issues, mental health and suicide especially. Uh, you're not alone. And that's the first principle that I always speak about is, and, and I, and I, this is a theme I, I, I run throughout my talk um, because you're going to, people want to feel like you're alone, like they're alone, especially if you're going through a hard time. Um, you feel like you're isolated. You feel like nobody's going to understand, but that's a lie. And, and you're not alone. And the statistics don't lie. You actually, Janelle led off kind of with this idea that there are people who, who, uh, who are going through similar things. There are people who want to help and the statistics don't lie. I mean, we're talking, uh, suicides, the second leading cause of death in this country for those aged 10 to 35. So it's the second leading cause of death. 2002 numbers are just now coming out and we're seeing another spike 2002, uh, almost well right around maybe more maybe less the exact numbers aren't there but 50,000 people died by suicide last year that's more than uh any, any 2022 in 2022 that's uh, that's more than guns that's more that 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 is that is the staggering number um mm-hmm. it used to be uh 
you know, that, that every once in a while you'd hear these stories about uh, college students, for example, right. Um, college students, it used to be 13, 13% of us college students. The statistic was used to uh, contemplate suicide. And when I say contemplate, I mean, seriously consider when, where, and how they were going to die by suicide. 13% mm-hmm. of college students. Well, now the, the updated number as of 18 months ago is 25.5% of American college age students. That's one in four are seriously mm-hmm. contemplating suicide. I mean, there's more than a million, one million ER visits every single year in this country attributed to failed suicide attempts, you know, and, and talk about fail, one in uh, the, you know, um, the, the numbers are out of, uh, like out of the, uh, off the route, out of the route, 110 people die every single day in this country. Now it's more, I haven't recalculated it, but 110 people every day die by suicide. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's an issue that's, that's everywhere. And the reason why I'm bringing the statistics up is to, um, reiterate and support the fact that you're not alone. If this is you and you're listening and you're wrestling with this idea, you are not alone. I mean, and this is just suicide numbers. You start talking about mental health numbers. I just read an article, uh, from the CDC. It's a study that I just read indicating that, uh, Depression, anxiety, and suicide ideation is up 60% for school-aged girls in particular. 60%. They've seen a huge rise. Um, so the issue's there. And now we just now mm-hmm. the issue now what we have to be doing is moving towards that issue uh with with uh well the, the true story of reality, like I said. Yeah. Well, Man, there's so many things I could say as a follow-up to that. First of all, I watched a video that you gave uh, about a year ago. I think it was a live video where you were talking about some of the st- uh, statistics. And um, I think you had said something that I just found so mind-boggling. I think it was like one in 10 of teenage girls have seriously contemplated suicide. Uh, does that sound familiar, that that statistic? Yeah. Yeah, it, one in 10. It's it's insane among our, our young girls. Yeah, which it's insane. Then the other thing, you know, going back to the reason why people aren't talking about this. I mean, our culture is right. I remember when um, what was the name of that movie? 10 Reasons Why or 13 Reasons Why. 13 Reasons Why. I remember when that movie came out. It was about eight years ago, seven years ago. And, you know, suddenly it's in the cultural, you know, everyone's talking about it. And there's a sense of the more you talk about it, the more prevalent it becomes, right? And so sometimes the church has done the opposite, like, let's not talk about it because we don't want to go there. Even, Even I have that temptation, John, because even doing this podcast with Nora, whom I love, I'm like, who's going to be sitting on the other end listening to this, who might be triggered by something or might feel some sense of relief, you know, that I'm not aware of? And I'm not God, you know, thankfully, God has clearly made that apparent in my life yeah, over yeah. and over. But that is a major fear, right? What if we talk about this and people suddenly feel like, oh, you know, I can do that, or that's the way I want to, to do it, because I see it. I've seen it in culture. I've seen it, you know, played out. Yeah. Do you think that's a real fear? And there's a real concern there? Well, I think it's um, a, certainly a fear. I'm, I think the concern is over. I, I think the concern is miss misguided and based on on uh old information mm-hmm. and uh for example when 13 reasons why came out it started a great uh it was a great launching off point 
for having these discussions, but the response from the 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 church, the church, the the Catholic, church Catholic, right? The the universal the response from Christians in the culture was, oh, don't watch that because it's glorifying suicide. Right. Well, I watched every episode of the first two seasons and then it got ridiculous. Like, I mean, it got so dumb. <laughs> but the first season in particular, I I actually don't think it glorified suicide. I think, I mean, sure, it 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 uh showed graphically uh the results of suicide, but it also showed the the ramifications of of what happens when somebody dies mm-hmm. by suicide as far as the people that are still living are concerned the effects that somebody has uh the, the effects that somebody's suicide has on a um on a town for example on the the immediate culture around them uh are are profound and i think that that shows an hbo show i think or i think it was on hbo i don't know it, it really showed i mean the the parents of the the girl who died they their marriage fell apart the friend group fell apart I mean, it was obviously dramatized, but I think it showed the ramifications. So if I'm a, somebody who's contemplating suicide, to be honest with you, I'm watching that saying, oh, my goodness, I don't want this stuff to happen. It's also research is showing. Uh, so one of the I'm always asked, you know, well, what do you do? Like if, if somebody if, if 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 you're concerned about somebody in their in their uh, th- their well-being, what do you do? Well, if I'm concerned about somebody dying by suicide, this is what I do. I say, hey, you know, uh, Greg, I've noticed some changes in your life that just have me a little concerned and I love you because you're made in the image of God and you're so valuable to me. And if anything ever happened to you, I don't know what I do. Are you thinking about dying by suicide? And I use the word and that's what we recommend. And that's the that's uh, the, the literature is showing now that when we address this issue, this topic specifically, using that word of suicide, um, the chances of that person actually going through with it and dying by suicide plummet. And mm-hmm. uh, so there used to be the cultural convention that if I use this word, somehow I'm placing this thought in somebody's head. And that's just right. not the that's not the facts. That's not the science. It's not. They're mm-hmm. already there. And, and and all it does is get rid of any ambiguity, uh, any gray area. It's not, hey, are you thinking about ha- harming yourself or hurting yourself? It's, are you thinking about suicide? And mm-hmm. and then you have that conversation, or at least you kind of force that conversation to be had. I mean, if the person's going to lie to you, they're going to lie to you. I mean, if it, it, it's happened to me before where I've asked somebody, I didn't believe them. They said no. And I said, and this is my follow-up. It's real simple. Like, you'll notice... <laughs> I really, Janelle, I have nothing profound really to say. Like, <laughs> I really don't. Like, it's nothing profound. It's just really difficult things need to be said. And so mm. we need to be brave and we need to love people enough to have these had conversations, to be weak with one another. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Paul says that we need to be content, well content in our weaknesses because it's when we're weak, then we're strong. So, and I love that because Jesus flips everything on the head on its head. And, you know, especially as a, as a man in the culture, you know, I don't want to admit any weakness and I'll be soft and, 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 but I think it's time that what we need to be doing is we just need to be real with people. And if people are struggling, like we need to be real with them. And the way that we do that is we ask them difficult questions. So when, when somebody says something like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not thinking about suicide. I don't believe them. I'll say to them, I'll say, you know what? I'm, I'm so happy to hear that, but you know, I just, I just don't, uh, I don't know if I believe you right now. Like, 
because and then I'll get a little bit more specific and I'll ask them again. And then if they say no, then I'll drop it, you know, and mm-hmm. I'll let them I'll throw it out there. I'll say, hey, if you ever need to talk, I w- did you know that there's a 988 number that you can call from any phone in the United States and there's licensed and trained counselors that can help or you can pick up the phone and give me a call anytime. And so yeah. so that's how I handle it. But it's notice it's not profound. It's not complicated. It's just direct and it's very honest. And in yeah. this conversation, I think honesty is what we need, you know. Um, yeah. So anyways, back to your original question, like the, the 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 idea that we don't want to talk about this. And one of them is re- one of the reasons why we're not talking about it is the fear that uh, that somehow talking about it will spur people on. Yes, I think it's a it's a real fear. Yes, I think it's a real reason why people aren't having the conversation, but I think the fear and the avoidance of the topic uh, aren't solutions, and they're actually not based even on realistic and modern evidence of what's happening, okay. from, at least from the literature, the current literature that's out there. That's that's good to know, because sometimes I'll look at the culture and I'll think, well, no wonder it's become so prevalent. It's everywhere, and it does feel almost glorified in yeah. some... I was talking to someone I know in the mental health field, and she said something about, well, sometimes people have no other choice than suicide. And I was like, yeah. there's always another choice. Sometimes I don't know, like, feel, I was really upset. They feel yeah. like they have no other choice. I agree with that. But it, there's always yeah. another choice. Why is it so prevalent right now, John? What, yeah. what do you think is the reason behind it? People want to know, why has this become such a huge issue for this generation? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, and... and so, so the in my estimation, the reason why people contemplate suicide in the first place is uh, because they believe a lie, and the lie is that they'd be better off dead than alive, right? Uh, there's no other option. Is sometimes how it's what we just said, right? But they'd be better off dead than alive, and and that's a horrible lie. But why do they believe that lie? Well, they believe that lie, I think, because they're without hope. I think when we look out into the culture right now. Uh, we see uh, the culture is anemic when it comes to hope. There's there's hopelessness everywhere, and and not only that, but what 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 we do as people in our culture today is I think that we spend a lot of our time going from thing to thing to thing to thing, looking for that hope, and I'm talking a sustaining, transcendent hope. That, that's mm-hmm. outside of us and outside of our circumstances. So what we do is we we go, hey, if I just had this this if I just had this girlfriend, if I just got this job, I just if maybe if I just moved or got the bigger house or you know if I just would if I would go here if I get this 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 uh, this new truck or if I whatever you might be right it, then I'll be happy. Well, you might be happy for about a month. But then that that's fleeting. And the reason why is because, well, ideas have consequences. I love John Stone Street. He says, ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. And our culture has been permeated uh, by a really bad idea, bad philosophy. And that philosophy is naturalism. And naturalism is, you can interchange the term with materialism, naturalism, atheism, uh, for our purposes of our discussion there's distinctions but for us it doesn't matter at this point but naturalism is the idea that everything that exists is the product of a purely physical process so mm-hmm. so it's atheism so we're just the products people are just the products of of blind physical forces and time we're just moist robots meat suits in motion 
And, and it's all well and good. It's a, like, until we try to live it out. And then philosophically speaking, when we try to live these things out, there, it very quickly shows that the, on this worldview, there's, there's no hope, there's no transcendent hope, there's no meaning uh, to life, there's no real moral standard. And these are some things I, I feel like maybe we talked about the last time I was on a little bit. Um, but, but the hope component is, uh, is, is, uh, is, is really where we should be focusing because, uh, if we just constantly turn inward for hope, that's, and that's all naturalism avails itself to like, all we have to, to, at our disposal is us. I'm the master of my own ship. If something's wrong, I got to fix it. How do we fix it? Well, in the culture, if something's wrong, it's pursuit of, of, uh, money, uh, sex, education's a big one, right? Power like these things. Well, what happens when you fail in your pursuit of these things? Because you will fail eventually. Well, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and and, and try how to maybe another degree, maybe a new wife, maybe a, a different family, a new house, like all of these things, more money, power, sex, and fame. And then you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, you, you it's a cycle that, that just like that, that twirls you down to exhaustion. And, and we see it played out. Like we see the results of this worldview in front of us as, as we've seen some of the, the best and the brightest in our culture die by suicide because what happens is is uh, they they get to the very pinnacle of success, the very pinnacle of their careers or whatnot, and there's nothing there. And that's what they that's that's their witness. That's what they actually say. Like uh, Anthony Bourdain, for example. I don't know if you know who he was. He was a uh, yeah one of the first celebrity chefs. Really, uh, really dynamic man. He, he was a a chef for a long time, and then he traveled the world staying in the finest rest uh, hotels, eating in the finest restaurants, critiquing them, traveled to exotic places only to, to end up dying in a French boutique. You know, he killed himself. Um, and Kelly Catlin's a more recent example. She was an Olympian, uh, the Olympic cyclist for the United States, 18 years old. Uh, this, this poor girl. I mean, she literally trained for one event for her entire life. And she needed, she wanted gold in the Olympics and she got it. She won mm -hmm. only to go home and then die by suicide, you know, because what happens is, is whether we knowingly do it or unknowingly do it, we allow naturalism to influence us. And we place our hope in naturalistic things, not in supernatural things, mainly the work of Jesus, because he is the, he, he's the source and of, of ultimate hope in my opinion. Right. Even in our tribulations, the, the Bible says that the Paul, Paul knew what tribulations were. And he said, uh, tribulations produce what perseverance, perseverance, proving character, proving character, a hope and a hope that does not disappoint is what Paul says. So anyways, our, our culture has been influenced by naturalism and the naturalistic response to, 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 uh, to any issues that we have or search for hope is turn inward. It's us because we're all that is, you know, everything yeah. that is, is, is here in the physical realm. And when it's gone, it's gone. So where do we go for, yeah. for hope? Well, we need to go to ourselves, but we're not capable of sustaining a transcendent and ultimate and objective hope. It, it, because because we mess up. <laughs> I hope yeah. what I'm saying makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. You know, and I was just thinking of, I was watching the Netflix documentary um, about Taylor Swift not too long ago. And I don't know if you saw that, but there was this great quote in there um, where she said, you know, I had just won the Grammys for the second time. It was something that I'd always wanted to do. And ugh, 
gosh, she just said something. I, I wrote it down. I'll have to share it on social media when this comes out. But she said, I was like, God, this was all you ever wanted. This was all you ever wanted. So why did it feel so empty? And then, you know, she goes on and obviously she's, you know, doing some different things now with social justice issues and looking for fulfillment in that. But I guess my question to you, John, is Christians struggle with this too. It's not just people who have bought into the naturalistic worldview. It's people who maybe that naturalistic worldview has infiltrated some of their Christian thinking. So would you talk a little bit about that too? Because this is a big struggle for Christians as well. I don't know if you have the statistics on that, but yeah, obviously I know Christians that have chosen that path as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, man, in my area in particular, there have been two pastors recently within a 50 mile radius of where I live that have died by suicide. Uh, two years ago, my, uh, my good friend, his name is Mike Adams. Uh, great man. Actually, he was one of the main encouragers of me to make this like a, a topic that take on this topic. And he died by suicide. He shot himself. Um, Christians struggle. You know, there's another lie that sometimes we believe, right? The first one is, is that we be- better off dead than alive. And that's because we're without hope. But uh, the Christian worldview dispels that, right? The Christian worldview is is a message of hope. It's a, it's a central theme is hope. But there's another lie that we believe, and that lie, I think, is is that as Christians, especially, sometimes we feel like life isn't supposed to be as hard as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, from from atheism to Christianity, I remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, I have all the answers now!" Like life is so good. It's like for the first time ever, I had like. <clears throat> Excuse me for the first time ever i had these like goggles removed from my eyes and now i could see the world as it ought to be it's like in bright full technicolor and everything around me was amazing and not only was everything around me looking amazing but i actually had the 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 philosophy and the answers to to to, to wrestle and answer life's most difficult questions so now i and and i, ha- I had the good news right and then that was like for a week <laughs> and then you realize oh dang it like this Christian life is hard. Like I'm a sinner. Oh my gosh. I'm not nearly as, as good as I thought I was. Right. I mean, and, and then you realize that your life is a mess. Like I realized that my life was a mess in, in mo- more areas than not. And that mess was painful. Not only that, but then when you, when your soul gets awakened by the Holy spirit and your conscience becomes a, a, a real thing in you, it's not just a product of our evolutionary process to aid in our, our, uh, you know, our desire for survival. Like that's what I would have said. So basically uh, I said, what's right and wrong is subjective. I can do what I want. Might makes right. Well, now all of a sudden there's an objective moral law out there. And I'm like, I'm not only a victim of stuff, right? I was always just a victim. Now I'm a victimizer. And it's like, so, so life is hard and you learn that I learned it fairly quickly as a Christian and life is stinking hard. And like, I think that again, we need to just be real with each other that life is hard. Oftentimes as Christians, I feel like we, we feel like we should be and have an easier life, but we lose sight of the fact that we, we worship and revere a dying and rising savior. Jesus's life was anything but easy. So why would we think that we would have a, a, an easy life? When you look at Christians, I mean, the, the, the shoulders on which we stand, these Christian uh, people that we look up to, whether it be Bonhoeffer or, I mean, go before, I mean, Augustine or, or go before, uh, you know, I mean, Fox's Book of Martyrs is filled 
with these stories of of people that are that that the, the that we stand on as far as our Christian tradition, our worldview, and they all suffered horrible deaths. I mean, the apostles themselves, not one of them, not one of them. You know, I mean, John, maybe you can make a he he wasn't no sure he wasn't martyred, but he died alone on Patmos. I mean. I don't know what would be worse, to be honest with you. I, the, the, you know, getting getting beheaded like Paul, or spending, uh, you know, multiple tens of years in isolation. Right? I'd probably rather just get my head chopped off and go directly to heaven. Right? I mean, but uh, so, anyways, the point is, is that the, the, the life is hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, I think we need to wrestle with that fact. But but life is still good, and the hard things. The hard things aren't without meaning too. And I'm not seeking in this to trivialize the circumstances anybody might find themselves in right now. I know that there are people listening right now to your podcast who are going through horrible things. And I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. You don't deserve the things you're going through. And that's not what I'm saying. And and, and I know that like, uh, comparatively speaking, I have a very privileged life. And I know that people are wrestling out there with awful things because I get your emails and, 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 and I meet you at these conferences and I talk to you face to face and I'm so sorry, but that doesn't mean that God can't use these things uh, in your life, even the horrible things, right? So Paul says, Paul says that these are but momentary light afflictions producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Notice two things that Paul's saying there. The first is that they're momentary. Now that does not help at all, in my opinion. Like if somebody comes up to me when like I'm going through a horrible thing and they put their arm around me and they say, hey, hey buddy, you know what? This too shall pass. I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, how trite and just get out of my face. Like, I don't even want to talk to you, you know, but that doesn't mean it's not true, especially on a divine or heavenly timeline. Like when we have glory awaiting us, the things of this life right now will pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us. That's another thing that Paul wrote about. He considered the losses of this world, the trials of this world, to pale into the in comparison to the glory and the riches in King Jesus, right? So that so, that makes me want to stop you right there for a second. Sure, so that's just the first thing, but Nor- yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get into this, but that was one of Nora's questions. Okay. You know, she said, and this is a quote, she said, I knew it was wrong talking about suicide. I don't know if I necessarily wanted to end my life. I just wanted to end the pain. Yeah. And one of the things that she brought up, and I don't have the question right directly in front of me, but hopefully, Nora, if you're listening, I'm getting this right. But she said, you know, um, I, I really struggled, you know, with the idea in my darkest moments about heaven. Because if the whole point is I get to be with him, I get to be with God. She goes, I never doubted that there was a good God. I knew that there was something on the other side, but I wanted to be with him. Why would I stick it out here where it's pain, where it's endless pain, when I could be with him instantly in a moment? Yeah. How do you respond to that? Yeah. So that's a very, very, very real struggle. And I understand that. And the response again is... uh, it, it might answer the head. I don't know if how, how well it answers the heart. Because when we're in the midst of trials, uh, we want them to be over. And, and Paul, by the way, said the same thing he, when he was struggling. And I think that this is really something uh, that we could be better at as Christians of understanding, of reading our Bibles and understanding what it says. 
there are there are men of God in the Bible who got to that after after facing trial after trial after trial or serious loss, and and they just couldn't take it anymore and they just wanted to die. Uh, Solomon, Solomon, here's a guy uh, who who had everything. He's the son of David and Bathsheba, the the chosen king of Israel. Uh, he had wisdom, if you remember. He prayed for wisdom, and God lent it to him. And then he had women. He had he had more women than he could count. He had. He had money, so much money, he didn't even know what to do with. And then how does he choose to, to start his book at, towards the end of his life? Yeah, <laughs> vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? Life is meaningless. He goes on to say that life is like chasing after the wind. You know, so he was wrestling with these things, uh, the, you know, uh, had everything, but, but he felt like life was a, a succession of meaningless events, not even in Solomon, uh, you have you have uh, Jonah, Jonah, who when called by God, he didn't want to go. So what do he do? He hopped in a boat to go in the opposite direction, only to be only to be like thrown overboard, <laughs> then swallowed by a big fish, then to be vomited up on the shores of the land that he was trying so desperately to avoid among a people he despised, called to do something he really didn't want to do. He he sits down and he just wishes God. He literally says, "God, take my life." And that, uh, it's not just him. Uh, Elijah, Elijah, the prophet, uh, Elijah, the prophet. This is one of my favorite stories, Elijah, the prophet. And I'm going to get to my point in a second, but Elijah, the prophet, right? So he goes up to Mount Carmel uh, and he's answering the, uh, the so, so, so you have all the, the, the God's people, the, the, the Israelites are up on Mount Carmel. They joining in worship uh, around uh, they're, they're worshiping Baal and they're up there and they're dancing and they're singing. And this is second Kings, I think seven and eight. And they're up there and, and they're singing and dancing and cutting themselves and crying out to these false gods and they're not answering back. So then Elijah, he goes up there and he's like, you guys want to see an act of the, you want to see the true and living God act? And he rains fire down from the sky, if you remember, on the on the, uh, on the the altars of Baal and he toasts them, literally burnt, burnt to a crisp. And, and then, you know, that's a huge victory for the true and living God, you know, but then in the very next chapter, we see Elijah. He's sitting under a juniper tree and he literally says, Lord, take my life. It'd be better for me to die than to live. He, he, he like verbatim asks or, 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 or uh, makes the, the statement of the lie that we're talking about at the beginning. Right. But not just the old Testament guys, uh, Paul, Paul in second Corinthians, he says, I do not want you to be unaware brethren of the afflictions that came to us in Asia that we despaired even of life. Paul going through such trials, he's just tired. You know, he says, it'd be better for me just to die. But the thing is, is the reason why I bring these guys up and because they serve as one, they serve as examples to us. Uh, they pressed on through their trials and through their loss. Yes, they had glory on the other side, but just because they have glory on the other side, they knew it didn't excuse, it didn't permit them to, um, engage in sinful behavior mainly suicide here in our instance right so you have these 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 men of god who are chasing after god unlike many of us faced with trials and loss they can sympathize with many of us but they chose to press on through their trials and loss and then you look what happens is, is they pressed on through it and paul changed the world literally changed the world through his writing and his missionary journeys you have elijah he ended up passing the baton onto elijah after he was like you know uh, struggling with his depression and struggling want to die, die. God lifts him up, dusts him off, feeds him, clothes him, and then he passed that baton. 
Solomon at the end of his book, he says, you know what, like you, you press on through your struggles and then you, you press on by focusing on God. You focus on his law, you focus on the way of living according to God and things get better. So the way I would encourage your friend here is that, yes, while it might be true uh, that, that heaven awaits us one uh, there, the gosh, one is that when we press on through our trials, um, there's, there's something, there's something there for us. God will use us. You see, God's not done with you. God will use you if you press on, but there's more, there's more to this. Sometimes we feel like our trials and our loss aren't used for anything. It's just because like we have this idea that, 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 that like sometimes maybe even the trials or the suffering and stuff that we're going through is maybe punishment. And that's not how God is. You see, and that's where that, that verse I just quoted, what well, a bunch of verses today, but like, you know, momentary light afflictions, right? Because the second thing, the second thing is they're momentary, but the second thing is notice this, the, the, the trials of life, their momentary light afflictions are producing in us, producing in us something that otherwise wouldn't be there. You see the trials of, of, of the life, even, even these awful things that some of you guys are going through, even some of these awful things, I, I believe, and, and I, and and I have good reason to believe this, that God uses them. How's he use them? Well, he produces something in us that otherwise wouldn't be there. What's he producing? Well, he's producing a hope, but he's also preparing you to bear the weight of glory is what Paul says. Our trials and our losses aren't for naught. Our sufferings are used by God ultimately to complete the work that he has started in us so that one day when we are in glory, we we're ready to serve alongside King Jesus. And there's so much more to say here. There's like, there's so much, like, I think oftentimes we lose perspective when we ask these questions. Well, if I have glory awaiting me, why not just leave now? One, uh, my mind goes to Romans five and six. And, and where Paul is talking to the Romans, right? And he's preaching this lavish grace on them. He's, he's reminding them of who they are, that he's saying that there's nothing that can separate them from the love of God that is in King, King Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So how do the Romans respond? So, so no sin, no nothing can separate us from God. Well, the Romans, they come to Paul and they're like, well, should we go on sinning all the more so that the grace of God may abound all the more? And the idea is, is that if they if they escalate their sins, God's grace will cover those sins. And somehow that that will help magnify God's grace all the more because all those sins are forgiven. And what's Paul's response? May it never be. He says, may it never be. Why? Because just because um, all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, all of our sins are forgiven doesn't mean we're giving permission to pursue sin in our life. And this is for suicide. And this is why and I'm trying to bring it back around now. Suicide is a grievous sin. We, we lose perspective on it. suicide is murder. It's self murder. And we don't murder people as Christians. That's not what we do. When we, when we become Christian, when we become born again, as Jesus says, we, we no longer pursue sin. We pursue what? We pursue righteousness, not because it saves us, but because it leads to our sanctification. So when a Christian asks me, should I just die by suicide? Because then I'll be in glory. It's a really hard. This is the hardest question I have to answer because there's truth in it. Yes. If you're a Christian and you die by suicide, 
if you're really, if you are a Christian, you will be in glory because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, but that does not give you permission to die by suicide. And the reason why this is the most difficult question for me to answer is because my soul can't bear the weight of somebody somehow hearing me. And this is why I need, I need to be super clear on this. I am not giving somebody permission to die by suicide. I'm not, it's, it's not in the scriptures. It's not there. It's not biblical. And, and my soul can't bear the burden of somebody hearing me say that. It's not true. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God forgives all of our sins. Yes. But just because God forgives all of our sins, it doesn't mean that I can go and like, I, I can't engage in like, you know, 20 extramarital affairs. You know, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Like how many, it doesn't make sense to me to ask this question, you know, like how many affairs can I have and still get into heaven? Well, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, what do you mean? You know, like, like if somebody asks me that question, I'm going, I'm not, we're missing something here. It's not about how bad we can be. It's about how holy we can be. So we don't lean into our sin. We lean into the, in, into Christ's righteousness. So I'm hoping that that really long answer <laughs> answers good. your question. <laughs> I guess I have a follow-up thought. Yeah, Maybe it's a question to that. Cause you know, I grew up with the belief that, well, I don't know. Maybe it does separate you eternally. I'd yeah. better not find out. I mean, and that kind of, that belief system has served me well. <laughs> Let's put it that way, John. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't want to get too into my own issues, yeah. but, you know, I'm an emotional person, yeah. right? So there have been some high highs and some low lows. And at different points in my life, um, that ambiguity, as far as I can see in scripture, it's been kind of nice to not know. Um and I, I've read the Bible. Um, when I read about Judas, and I've heard this from other Christians too, it's clear that Judas was, is not in eternity with the Lord. Yep. Um, why isn't he? It's not because of suicide. Uh, what, what is, nor, so we'll get back to Nora's question here because she had a great follow-up to that. Uh, when she was thinking in her lowest moments, like, yeah, I'll just go to heaven. That would be better by far. Um, anything in heaven's better than, you know, the best life here. Um, she said, what is the Christian view on the meaning of life? Why are we even here if the end goal is just to be with the Lord anyway? So th I think that that's a, th that's a different question, right? So the meaning of life isn't to get to heaven. The meaning of life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What's the, this is a catechism, right? This is uh, out of Westminster, I think. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so heaven's part of it, enjoying God forever, but it's not the only part. How we live here matters. You see, God uses us. He uses me and you, Janelle. He uses people in his master plan. We are not our own. This is, this is what this, the, the, again, I, I quote a lot of Paul. We are not our own, right? We've been bought at a price. We've been purchased. Therefore, and then, and then in that context, Paul there is talking about uh, sexual sin. He says, your body is not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body is what Paul says. And, and we glorify God in our body by dying by suicide. no. No, we glorify God by, by how we live and we, and we chase him. Now, this is, the, this is like, we don't want to lean into legalism here, right? We're not saved by our works, 
but we do do good works. Once we're saved, our salvation, our justification, so to speak, justification is just a fancy word for being made right. Our relationship has been fixed with God. We are declared uh, not guilty or innocent right before God. And our justification should lead to sanctification, meaning it should flow out of our position in front of God, our justification to our right living out in front of man and God. So we live well out there because we've been saved. And that's Paul's point, right? You've been purchased. You are not your own. You've been purchased at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And, and we seek to glorify God in our body by doing what's right. Not according to how we feel, not according to our subjective standards, not according to what somebody else says, but to what God says. And God says murder is wrong. Suicide is self-murder. So I think there's a there's a foundation that needs to be kind of revisited here that our goal isn't just heaven. That's not what it's about. It's I mean, it, it, the heaven is almost a a byproduct. It's a fantastic byproduct. You know, we get heaven. That's amazing. But how we live here and now really matters. And uh, and that's what we do. We we glorify God and we enjoy him forever. I hope that offers a little bit of clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it was kind of a run-on sentence uh, train of thought, but Judas, what do you say when somebody says, well, didn't he go wasn't he separated from God because of the choice he made? How do you respond to that? Sure. So I have a question. If an atheist, uh, if an atheist dies by suicide, do they go to heaven or hell? Are you asking me? Yeah. Is this a rhetorical question? No, this isn't a rhetorical one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, They're, they're, they're going to hell. Why? Because they didn't put their faith in the Lord. You're brilliant, Janelle. You get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So, so. Okay. uh, Push back on that, though. Push Yeah, I will. I'll say Just a little bit. No, no, I want to push back on that a little bit. So, Abdu Murray was on this podcast not too long ago, and he said something brilliant. He said, people don't go to hell because they believe the wrong thing. People go to hell because they believe the wrong person. They believe in themselves instead of believing the Lord. Now, I totally agree with that. So when you choose to kill yourself, when you choose to end your life, are you putting your trust in Jesus? Or are you putting your, your trust in yourself? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure it's much different. I'm not sure it's much different than asking the same question about any other sin. For example, I'll go to adultery just because it's such a clear example. Somebody who is engaged in an adulterous affair is doing it for a reason, right? Ultimately, they're, I think that they're probably kind of trying to fill, fulfill something that isn't there. Right. And my answer to that person is, is that sin is not going to fulfill what you're looking for. You're not appropriately placing your trust, your whole being in Christ. Well, it's the same thing. You're, 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 you're taking control of your own life is, is what you're doing when you go into an adulterous affair. And the same thing can be said of the person who dies by suicide. Is there a momentary lapse of judgment where perhaps they think that they can solve all their problems by their own doing? Absolutely. I think that 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 happens. But I also know that as far as the East is from the West, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. 
I know that it's not about how we live. It's about like what Abdu said, right? The person that we trust. Mm -hmm. And just because we might have momentary lapses of clarity, we might have momentary lapses of clarity on that trust, thinking that we have to take matters into our own hands, so to speak. I mean, that happens. I can, I can literally think I don't want to, because I don't need to air all of my sin. <laughs> I can literally think of a dozen examples yesterday where I did sure. that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and the same is now suicide. The reason why it's, it, it's a little, it feels more exaggerated is because the consequences, the results are permanent mm -hmm. there. It's the taking of your own life, but uh, you could say the same thing of a murderer. Right. Uh, I can think of and I and I know personally murderers who are Christian. Mm. It happens. And we don't like that because the, here's the reason why is because we want to, on some level, take responsibility for our salvation. Mm. We on some level want to earn our salvation. But that's not that that's not the God of the Bible. That's not how salvation works. Right. If the psalmist wrote, if, if you, O Lord, were to mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand, but there's forgiveness in you, right? So that's one, I think Psalm 130. I'm really bad with addresses and stuff. I read my Bible and that's what I'm told to do. I don't memorize the address. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, you know, you, uh, you, you, the, the, there is a, this principle. The psalmist is, is, is recognizing a very profound thing that, that I think we'd all do well to recognize and live by. If you, O Lord, would mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God were keeping a record of right and wrong, every time we, every time we messed up, mess up, mess up, mess up, O Lord, who could stand? Nobody could stand before him because we're all sinners. All have fallen short and, 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 and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Not one, not one pursues righteousness is what the Bible says about us, mm -hmm. right? But there's forgiveness with God because he doesn't keep a record of right and wrong. It's not about living by a, a, a set of do's and don'ts. When we get, when we get to, when we get to glory, the Christian gets to glory. He's God's not going to ask us, Oh, wait, wait, hold on. How'd you die? He's going to say, what have you done with my son? And that's it. And Jesus answers for all of our sins. Right. He, he's God sees us not, not, he doesn't see us in our filthy rags. He sees us what clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. The Bible actually says, and I haven't figured this one out yet. So, but, but I mean, it's very encouraging that when we become saved, we become, the Bible says that we become the righteousness of God right. through Christ, not our own works. So, right. so there's a lot there to unpack, you know, but a lot of this has to do with the fact that I think that we want to earn something from God but we can't. That's the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is, is, is that we are messed up and, and, and we owe a debt that we can't afford. But Jesus, Jesus lived that perfect life that we should live, but can't because of our sin. And then Jesus died on a cross paying the penalty for our sin and, and affording the price that we can't afford because of our sin, right? And then mm -hmm. three days later, Jesus was raised again. And through that resurrection is we're offered eternal life. So Jesus paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And, and Jesus became sin, right? And, and, and this is unbelievable. Like the transaction, I don't know what happened, this cosmic transaction 
between God the Father and then Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. But in 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 that action, the 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 sins of the world, the of, of the world of professors of Christ are completely wiped out. And yeah. and that includes the sin of suicide. So getting back to your main point, I understand the rub here. Uh, because telling somebody that if you die by suicide, you're going to hell works. It does. <laughs> Fear is a great motivator and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it works. But the question that we need to always be asking is, is it true? Mm -hmm. So it's, and it's not true. That's mm -hmm. not true. And um, let me give you an example why this is important. So I was giving this, I, I was giving my suicide talk at a, a theological conference. Um, and the person that was running the theological person asked if I'd give this talk. Okay. So I, I gave the talk and a young woman, mid to late twenties came up afterwards. I mean, just like weeping. And this happens all the time. <laughs> like people are always crying and they come up and she said, they all, the people always say this. Thank you so much. That's what they say. First, thank you so much for this talk. And I always say, why, you know? And she, and then you get to hear people's stories, which is one of the best parts of my job. And mm -hmm. this woman, she went on to explain that she had an aunt, her mother's sister, who the year before had died by suicide. And, and her aunt had lived a life that was plagued by depression, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder. And she said to me when she was in her right mind, which was like 70% of the time, she was a professing christian in love with jesus but there was 30 percent of the time where she was out of her mind and she died by suicide and then this is what she said this is why she was thankful she said when she died my pastor and my mom's pastor refused to do the funeral and told us the reason why is because it was his conviction that she was in hell hmm. and she said i can't wait to get home and share this truth with my mom because it's something that's been hanging over us. You mm -hmm. see, God doesn't punish us and he, he, God doesn't like, he doesn't hold our sins over us like an angry father. That's mm -hmm. not who God is. Um, and he, he loves his children and the Christian, if you're a Christian, this is true of Christians, right? If you're a Christian, you have gone from a child of wrath, a child of perdition, to a child of God adopted into the kingdom of God. And he doesn't keep a record of right and wrong, uh, you know? And, and I, I mean, I've, I've quoted so many verses here as that, that, that support it, you know? Um, but I love that. I, I love that. I think it's Romans eight, eight, somewhere in there. You know, I love that verse where he says, neither heights and the depths, neither the powers, the principalities, neither uh, angels nor demons, nothing, nothing. He says, Paul, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that, that scripture there by Paul is just as true today for the Christian as it was for the first century Christians in, in Rome, you know, God's love for his, his children doesn't wax and, and, and wane according to uh, anything, including our own actions. Does it give permission to go pursue sin? No, we've already covered that ground just because he forgives our sins. Doesn't mean it gives us per permission but it's also doesn't like we shouldn't be I don't think we should be lying to people just because it works. Okay. I agree with you. I I love this. I know we're running out of time, but I do want to I keep thinking about the Christian who's listening who's maybe tangled up in this a little bit. So I sure. I guess 
even though maybe this isn't Nora's question, although I think it, it is because she asked about this. Um, but specifically, I want to keep bothering you about Judas. What was special about Judas that he, it says in scripture that he was destined for, for damnation. Why? What was special about his sin? Uh, okay. Well, the short answer, I'll give you one short answer for the whole podcast. <laughs> one short answer is, I don't know. Um, I can I can speculate, but God predestined him for the role that he played. Yeah. And why God did that, I have no idea. I, I mean, I, I could say the same thing of myself. Why did God save me? I have no idea, you know, as, as a positive. But I but what I do know is that he it, it would seem uh denied Christ. So the reason why uh, he, he was destined the way that he was destined wasn't because because of his suicide. It was because of what he did with Christ, what he did with Jesus, uh, mm -hmm. his betrayal, but then also his his lack of ultimate belief is what I would say. Mm -hmm. But in the mm -hmm. grand scheme of things, I have no idea. Okay, well, I, <laughs> very sad answer. I, I appreciate know. it. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple final questions for you here as we wrap up. Um, you know, Nora and I we had a really beautiful conversation and she shared, you know, I, I know the answer is to draw closer to God. I know that it's, you know, to, you know, there's things that I, I was pushing God away in those moments where I was really low, but she said in the moment, it didn't make any difference. Yeah. You know, I just, in the moment it was not helpful. So for somebody who is experiencing or will experience those deep, dark moments what is helpful and what advice do you give to somebody who's struggling like that? Yeah. Again, uh, nothing, I've got nothing profound, just, just difficult things. The, the this is so hard because when you're in, in Nora can, you, you can, you can, uh, you can test testify to this. I'm sure when you're in that place, you're already suffering. And you're just like, for some, it, it, it's just a, it's just hard to get, to get out of bed. Never mind, do anything else. And I'm going to, I always say, I have to ask you to do something else. I have to ask you to do a very difficult thing. And, and that difficult thing is you have to talk to somebody. I mean, I could say, yeah, you got to draw near to Jesus. But if I'm just being honest with you, I know what that means, but not everybody does. And also it's not always easy. It's not always easy because we live in a fallen and a broken world and, and we, we live in a world that's influenced by the powers and the principalities, right? The, the devil is real and he's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, and so there's an interaction here uh, that that's happening on a war that's going on behind the scenes. So sometimes we don't see clearly. And so telling somebody, Oh, just draw near the Jesus. Honestly, it doesn't, uh, it's unhelpful, but what it would be helpful is talking to somebody and making a habit of that. This is why like, and it's somebody who can get you help, right? So it's calling 988. You know, you get in that moment and you're there and you know, you're there. You got to do a really hard thing. You got to call 988. And is there a number like that in Europe too? Because I know Nora specifically, she doesn't live here in the U.S. Do you know? Are there the same kind of resources overseas? Yeah, that's a or? good question. Um, look at look. I'm googling it right now. 
<laughs> International 988. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that there's there's something. I also know that if you go to their the 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 like if you type in if you were to type in 988, you can hit a uh, in Google you can hit the chat button, and you can chat with somebody that way. Okay. Uh, whether it ha- works out of the country, I'm not sure. Okay. But it doesn't need to be 988. It could be a, a, a counselor, a pastor, a parent, a really good friend. Uh, so, but you, but that the point is, is that one, you're not alone. You're going to want to think that you're alone. You're going to want to think people want to like, you want to think in that moment, nobody will understand. You want to think crazy things like, like nobody loves me, but you are loved. And, and no matter what you're loved. And this is the, this is the cool thing about God, right? God, God loves you no matter what. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. God loves you no matter what. There are people who love you and, and, and they want to help you. So we need to train our minds to combat the lies that we sometimes believe. So, so instead of living into the lies, we want to live into the truth of who we really are. We're, we're made in the image of God, knit in our mother's wombs, called by name. The Bible says that God goes with us wherever we go, up to the heights or down to the depths. And we want to believe these things. And in that moment, don't believe the lies. Nobody will understand. Nobody cares for me because there are people who understand. There are people who care for you. Reach out to one of them. And it's a really hard thing. I know it is. I I, I know it is, but but it has to happen because, and the reason why I say that is because uh, Nora, whoever's listening, you're too valuable not to get help. You're, you're, you are immeasurably valuable. Uh, even if you're not a believer, you're made in the image of God. And it's that image that lends to you infinite value and worth and dignity and 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 respect. It, and then and it's uh it's objective. That's that's why when I get in front of people, I can I can legitimately say, like, I love you. I don't even need to know you and I love you. Why do I love you? Well, because you're made in the image of God. Like you're made in God's image. And and the coolest thing about the image of God stuff is there's nothing that can that 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 can take that from you. Even if you want to shake that off of yourself, you can't. You can't, you're stuck with it. You're stuck with, with inherent value, worth, and dignity live with it, you know? And, <laughs> you know, but, but that's like, but this is, but, and, and keep in mind guys, like this, the things that I'm saying, they're not empty platitudes. Like I'm not saying these things just to make people feel good in the moment or anything like that. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm about. I'm saying things because they're true. This is the true story of reality. And Nora, this is true of you. This is at your core, at your foundation. This is who you are. You are made in the image of God. And, and, uh, and, and because of that, you're worthy. And, and then, and then sometimes we have to do hard things. And the other part of the reality, there's good news and bad news. The bad news is, is that we live in a fallen and a broken world. And, you know, Paul, uh, he, he tells us that, uh, he, he says, always live vigilantly, and, and he means he always live cautiously, always live circumspectly, eyes wide open um, at the, for the reality of the world around us. That's hard. It's difficult. And sometimes we want to mm-hmm. fall into the, to, to believing lies. And the way that we combat any lie is with truth. Yeah. yeah. I always ask the final, the same final question here, John, but I'm going to totally break my rules Uh-oh. and ask you something else because you've kind of touched on it, but I feel like it's so important and it's something that 
I feel like I just need to ask. So the final question, I'll say it, and then I'll see if there's some way we can bring this in. Um, it's always the same. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Which of those four things, restoration, eternity, authenticity, or love, stands out to you the most in your life right now or, and why? But the question that keeps coming to my mind as we're having this conversation, as we're wrapping up, is how do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you're, go- you're going to spend eternity with the Lord? That, okay, so that's the question? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'd rather answer <laughs> the other one. Uh <laughs> I, I would say that I, I know that I'm saved. Paul, I always go back to Paul today. It's like a Paul theme. I do read more than just Paul. That's good. Um, That's good. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the minimum qualification. I know that I'm saved because... Um. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord because I've experienced his Lordship. I've experienced Jesus in very real ways. I'm not saying weird, supernatural ways. I've been transformed and I'm being transformed. Uh, God has changed my life. I've met him. I have a relationship with God. Um, I, I talk to him through prayer and reading his, his word. Um, and I can, conf- and and I believe in my heart that he's been raised from the dead because I've studied the resurrection, and it's 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 and I've tested Christianity, and it's proven that not only does it work, it's true. And when I mean it's true, I'd say I know I'm a saved, which means I'm a Christian. Those two are synonymous, right? I'm a Christian, and there's no such thing as an unsaved Christian. I'm a Christian. Because the Christian worldview lines up with the way the world really is. It has better explanatory power or uh, it, it explains the way it explains the, the, the moral depth to the world that, that we experience every single day. It explains things that we experience every single day better than any other system of belief. And on the, the flip side of it, if somebody were to able, able to prove Christianity false, I wouldn't believe it anymore because I want to believe what's true, but that's how I know I'm saved. Right. Uh, you know, you confess your, in, in your, in, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I confess him because as Lord, because I've met him and I know him and he's proven himself as Lord. Right. But that's subjective. I think a lot of that's like, if, as an atheist, if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, whatever. Yeah. How do you know that wasn't like pizza or whatever? I mean, like whatever's <laughs> affecting you or who knows and, and, and feelings, they wax and they wane, they come and they go. So it's not based on feelings, but the reason why I believe in my heart, the reason why I believe my heart in in my core being that he's been raised from the dead is because I've looked into it and, and Jesus has been raised. And the only explanation for Jesus being raised is that he says who he, 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 he is who he says he is, which means if Jesus is raised, everything else about him is true. And uh, so that's where I, my, my, my salvation, my knowledge of my own salvation is based firmly on those things. Uh, but before everything was probably the evidence for the Christian worldview, as far as it explains the world that I live in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. That's a hard one. 
Well, I've never asked someone that at, right at the end, but uh, you opened the door. I felt like I had to. Can uh, I add one? Th- can I add that? Like, it's because yeah. oftentimes yes. that question comes as somebody who's struggling, not mm. knowing if they're saved, right? Yeah. They're like, how do I know if I'm saved? I'm wrestling. I don't know if I'm saved. When I was an atheist, I never wrestled with whether or not I was saved. Like the only people in my, this is my conviction. The only people who wrestle with their salvation, I think are Christians. Are people <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so the very, it's almost like the very fact that you're wrestling means you're a Christian, <laughs> means you're saved yeah. in, in a very real way. You know, I think in a very yeah. real way that that's, that's true. I, I, I don't want to be uh, an advocate or give people an excuse for easy believism or anything, but I, I, I don't know a non-Christian who wrestles with their, with whether or not they're saved. Yeah. 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 I, I do know what you mean. And uh, I really appreciate you answering that hard question. And Nora, if you're listening, I love you. This is just one uh, episode that we'll be doing. We'll do uh, multiple this month for you, but um, I hope that this helped shed some light on some of your questions. John, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. John thank Noyes you. with Stand to Re- Stand to Reason. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.